When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. You guys know I've partnered with Cog Hill this year to not only tell you stories of public golf, but also to show you how I use all the services they have at Cog Hill, which is the home of the world-famous Dubs Dread Golf Course. And you've probably heard of them if you've heard of, you know, the Western Open, the BMW Championship in its early years. You can go out to coghillgolf.com today to learn a little bit more about all the upgrades they have going on at Cog Hill, or you could just follow me on social because chances are I'm going to be there at some point this week. We're also brought to you by our friends over at WorldwideGolfShops.com. You guys know I've also partnered with them for a long time. Uh, They've got everything you could possibly need to get you on the golf course. They've got apparel. They've got accessories. They've got all the latest equipment. They've got training aids and everything else that you could possibly need to enjoy your game and actually improve it as well. So go out to WorldwideGolfShops.com today. And, of course, we are brought to you by our friends over at Cleveland, Srixon, Zegzio, and Asics. You guys know I've played their equipment for quite a while. Love everything about it. The woods this year from Srixon are absolutely fantastic. The new ZX line, as well as the irons, but, you know, their irons are always awesome. And, of course, Cleveland's RTX Zipcore wedges are something that you need to take a look at as well. So be sure to go out to Cleveland, Srixon, Zegzio, or Asics today to learn a little bit more. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. This is the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, and I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Website. Go out there. You can follow me on social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send me an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com. You guys know I'm part of the SecondCityGolf.com collective, along with my buddies Bill Bush over at DrivingRangeHeroes.com, as well as Chris McEwen, he of McEwen Media. And we just added a few new things to our uh, our shop. We have a merch shop there where we support each of our three brands. Uh, from my book, The Bag Room. So first of all, thank you to all of you who went out and purchased it. Um, it's kind of humbling, actually. I, You know... I, I joke a lot about it. Maybe I'm being just a little bit, uh, I don't know, towards myself. But uh, it's a it's a lot for me to put that out there again and uh, for people to actually consume it. And I appreciate all the feedback that I get from it. Um, and so at any rate, we put some merchandise out there honoring the fictitious, air quotes, uh, country club, Elverton Country Club. And so you can go out to secondcitygolf.com today under the Golf Unfiltered shop, and you'll be able to see bucket hats, um, flex fit hats, as well as t-shirts with the new crest of Elverton Country Club. So if you want to know what that's all about, go out to Amazon.com today and pick up a copy of The Bagroom. It's a book that I uh, wrote uh, about 10 years ago that I've re-released in digital and paperback format. And uh, let me know what you think. Really appreciate the feedback I've received so far. On today's show, we're going to talk about a few uh, current events in golf, and then I'm going to offer a few thoughts Uh, that really were prompted from another book that I read by Jay Revel. Uh, You may know him as Mid-Am Crisis on Twitter. And uh, his book, The Nine Virtues of Golf, um, is a collection of essays that he has put together over the years uh, that is a really good read. 
And um, I've gotten to know Jay just over social media, and we corresponded a few times uh, through what he does for his day job as well. And, um, you know, he's just a real smart guy, and he's got a lot of, lot of great thoughts regarding golf. And one of those thoughts actually prompted a series of tweets that I put out throughout the week, at least at the time of this recording. And um, it's all about public golf, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. But first and foremost, we want to congratulate, of course, Nellie Corda, who uh, as of yesterday, yeah, yesterday, by the time I'm, uh, I'm sitting down to do this, uh, won the gold medal in the Olympic women's golf uh, competition, which is absolutely fantastic, completes the United States sweep of gold, uh, along with her, her buddy Xander Schauffele in the men's competition a few weeks ago. Uh, absolutely electric stuff all week from Nelly. Um, obviously one of the best players in the world, men or women. And, uh, I mean, she flirted with 59 at one point. I mean, that's insane. And again, you know, as I mentioned on last week's episode when Xander uh, won, uh, the course didn't seem to be playing all that difficult because there were some pretty low scores out there on both the men's and women's side, but it was still a lot of fun to watch. I felt that it was a little lacking in terms of just electricity because obviously there weren't any fans there and we all know why. Um, but regardless, even with a one hour rain delay in the final round, it was, uh, extremely exciting if you're just watching pure golf you know the leaderboard got a little tight up there towards the end Lydia Ko was making a run uh, which is always good to see a player of her caliber get up there again you know with her storied career not only from an amateur side but also into her professional career but ultimately Nelly was able to hold all of that off and kudos to her too by the way she's just got this this persona um, an even keelness of her that even after winning the gold she just seemed to be so calm the entire time. I, I am so envious of that, just in life in general. You know, I would be a hot mess if I was out there. <laughs> Good Lord. I'd be, you know, you'd be sweating. I'd, I would make it on, you know, uh, every single newscast because I'd probably crap my pants at some point. Just kudos to her for maintaining her composure, especially when uh, there was a stretch there where it looked like it might fall away. But uh, she she definitely kept it together. So kudos to her. Congratulations to uh all of U.S. Olympic golf and, and Olympic golf in general. You know, I know, uh, as we talked about last week, a lot of people uh, have been kind of razzing on the Olympic golf format. I'm not the biggest fan of it either, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, I think it accomplished what it set out to accomplish, which was to identify the best golfer that week, which pretty much is the same at every single stroke play event on either tour. So, uh, again, congratulations to Nelly Corda. Okay, the only other... Uh, newsworthy item this week and I feel like we've been talking about this guy for a long time and uh, I go back and forth in my mind about Bryson DeChambeau these days and um, you know obviously if you're listening to this you know his his most recent comments in a press conference regarding not wanting to take the COVID vaccine um, the it's been chirped about on social forever I mean if you're on golf Twitter and you've watched or you've read anything you know all the things that have been said. You guys know my stance on the whole thing. I mean, the guy's a lunatic when it comes to stuff like this. Um, I will point out, though, and give props to uh, to uh, Will Bardwell. He wrote a extremely thoughtful piece on laying4.com, which is his website, um, on which he opines about a lot of things, primarily southern golf, uh, golf in the southern states. And, um, you know, in it, he, he points out a few things regarding Bryson. And, and you know, we all know... If we're thinking of this objectively, Bryson has always been this character that golf hadn't seen in a very long time, if ever, you know, 
Uh, he had all these thoughts about physics. He had all these thoughts about science. Obviously, he, he's got this nickname of the scientist. And then as we filter a little bit more into subjectivity here, Bryson continuously just mentions things. There, there's no filter on him at all. And, you know, as we talk about him on a thing called the Golf Unfiltered podcast, you would think that's something that we are, you know, that I would welcome more. And in this case, I'm not so sure. You know, he, he's saying things now at a clip and he's doing things at a clip that just are absolutely, ironically, hurting his brand, especially for someone who is so concerned about it. I don't I don't know what you do with this guy at this point. It's clear he's got the talent. It's clear that he's got the game. And sometimes when you hear the old adage that I don't necessarily agree with all the time of just shut up and play, I don't know. Maybe this really does apply to Bryson at this point. Um, uh, it's hard to continue to root for this guy, uh, regardless of what you think of you know what he thinks about the game of golf and his approach towards the game. I mean, that's an entire that's a different thing entirely. You know, you're going to get that type of flack if you're going to go and play a game as historic and traditional as golf and try to take a completely different approach. But when you start saying stuff about, you know, public health and obviously not thinking it through enough, I don't you could you could feel that you're the most correct in the world. And you could think that you've got all the research in the world, but if you don't at least read the room a little bit, I don't know. It it speaks to a, a drastic lack of realism to go out on a press conference and say something like, you're not going to get the vaccine because you don't want to take it away from somebody else. I mean, you just, maybe he doesn't read the news. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe ignorance is bliss in this instance. I don't know. But my thoughts on the whole thing, really quickly, I mean, he's he's venturing into a territory now where he just probably needs to, to be quiet for a bit. Uh, this, this is getting ridiculous from him. And we have the Ryder Cup coming up in about seven weeks at the time of this recording, and now they're talking about maybe mandating vaccines for people, or at least they're asking the question for participants. Again... I think it should be a condition of participation. End of story. Done. It's not about having choice. It's not. I mean, I understand that there's part of that, but at some point, folks, you just have to do what's best for the greater good. And I don't. I don't know why it's gotten to this point. I don't know how. Well, I kind of know how. But we're we're all just trying to get through this. We're not trying to, you know, succumb to whatever being told like a dictator whatever i see those takes and i just roll my eyes and laugh it's like come on god get over yourselves for a quick second you know it's all about control well i guess you don't drive with a driver's license then (laughs) whatever anyway now that i've pissed off half of my audience um what i really wanted to get into you know to uh, be able to anger the rest of my audience is to talk a little bit about uh these ideas regarding uh public golf and you've probably, if you follow me on Twitter, you've noticed that I've been talking a lot about that recently, um, because it is something that I really much enjoy, that being pub- public golf. I prefer public golf over private golf, and I want to clarify that statement as well. I mean, as you, you guys know, if you've listened to me for a while, I used to work at a private club. I wrote a book about it. I talked about it at the beginning of this episode. Worked there for about a decade, 
and uh, saw all the good and bad that it has to offer. I've played on private courses. I've been fortunate enough to uh, be invited to play at a few very nice places. And hands down, there is no substitute for the private golf experience. That's why you see some of the better public golf courses trying to provide a private golf experience. Uh, it's, it's unmatched. Of course it's incredible. You've got the the locker rooms, you've got the incredible course conditions, you've got the amenities, you've got everything else that you could possibly need if you are a golfer and you enjoy the game and you want the best experience possible. So, period. Nothing wrong with that. On the public side, which is the other kind of side that I grew up with, I believe that you get a different flavor of golf. You get the common man form of golf, but... Even that's not entirely accurate because we all know that there are public courses that you have to pay a pretty big greens fee to play. And even then, you're getting decent course conditions, if not really good. Um, There's some historical courses out there that are open for all of us to play. And so it's kind of like this great dynamic where if you want the private experience and you've got the means to do so, you can do that. For the rest of us, You've got public municipal courses that admittedly probably aren't going to be the best manicured. There's going to be different types of characters that go out to the golf course, which isn't a bad thing. Um, And then you've also got the more expensive public courses. And so I acknowledge and have experienced all three of those categories. As it pertains to public golf, the pace of play issue is a massive issue right now across the board, no matter where you go unless you play on one of the more expensive courses. And I'm talking a course that costs more than, let's say, $100 to play. Maybe even 110 COVID had a huge impact on golf. We all know this. Not only with record-breaking sales in the industry, but also record-breaking participation across the board. We even hear about, in private clubs, there's a waiting list that stretches years now. And I know in many courses that was always been the case. But especially now, I've got people telling me that it's like three, four, maybe even five years or longer waiting list. And at that point, it's like, good Lord, hope you still like golf at that point. (laughs) Well, I imagine you do if you're trying to get in there. So, of course, with more people going to the golf course, you're going to have longer rounds. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that across the board. The other day I went and played and uh, admittedly tried to get out, sneak in as many holes as I possibly could on a uh, later twilight round. So, you know, right around five o'clock in the afternoon is when I went out. And admittedly, I'm already kind of chasing daylight. It's August, beginning of August, you know, probably gets dark around here to the point where you can't see anymore, probably around 8 p.m., maybe a little bit after. So I've got a good three hours to get as many holes as I can in. And that was not a wise choice. It was weird, too, because it was like middle of the week, and at one point, the course had five groups on a par five. Now, there were two foursomes, a threesome, a twosome, which I was part of, to be completely transparent, and then another foursome behind us. And... I don't know, uh, obviously there's different skill levels, there were a few mulligans being taken, I, I, that's probably the biggest pet peeve of mine, um, especially if you're playing with a backup already, 
I mean, you just kind of have to be aware of the situation. Again, read the room. Um, at any rate, uh, tea times for this particular course were around nine minutes, I would say. And I say around nine minutes because the starter was, wasn't was there. Uh, there were no marshals anywhere to be found. Now, again, this is at five o'clock in the afternoon. I imagine that you know, at this particular course, it was really well marshaled and typically is throughout the day, especially during the busy times, quote unquote. This was a tough, uh, this was a tough one. Now, granted, we were able to get 16 holes in before it just basically became, you, you couldn't see anymore. Uh, so it's not like we only played like 11 holes or whatever. But on Twitter, I was talking a little bit about how we can improve these types of situations. You know, and I, I'm a believer that tea time spacing is a huge benefit, or it can be, especially now where we've got all these new golfers going to the courses, we've got all these, you know, uh, different levels of skill that are going out. You give the group in front of you and behind you a little bit more of a window to go and be whatever type of golfer they are. And I went to the extreme. I said, you know what, if 15 minutes tea times... If that was something that we could push towards, that would be absolutely perfect. Now, where did I get that number? Well, in the early days of the pandemic, when golf was limited to, I think it was like two people walking, uh, and then eventually we were able to take carts, they spaced out tee times 15 minutes apart just to ensure that there was adequate social distancing between yourself and anybody else. Yes, that was met with you know, differences of opinion, Admittedly, I understand because golf being as wide open as it is, you're pretty much distant from everyone else anyway. But what we found was while there were far fewer golfers going through a golf course at that point, it was a extremely almost private in your own world experience. And it was fantastic. That was golf that I hadn't experienced at least at the times I was playing, like times of day. I hadn't experienced that before. It was great. And so then, of course, as you could probably guess, I had people on Twitter, usually golf course operators, saying, oh, you have a lot to learn about golf course operations. Well, yeah, I do, because I don't run a golf course. But I also know that I'm a customer and have been for over 25 years, and I know what makes a good golf experience, and one like the day I, the what I uh, experienced the other day with five groups on a hole, I also know what doesn't work. There is a really big component of running a successful business, which is something that I'm sure many people listening to this can relate to. Uh, Customer satisfaction. Now, when you've got as wide a customer base and as diverse as customers could be, like what golf has, you're going to run into situations where, of course, you can't please everybody. There's going to be people that go out and they want to shoot their best score. You know, they want to go out there, take it extremely serious. They may have played some competitive golf. Maybe they still do. And they want to go and they treat golf like it is more than a hobby. I respect those people. Totally. Nothing wrong with that. That's the way you want to enjoy the game. That's the way that you want to try to improve at the game. Go for it. Then there's golfers like, I would admit me right now in the middle, who, yes, they want to play well. They have the ability to play well. But they're also out there to deal with the stresses of life. They don't want to go out there and be more stressed out. 
And then, of course, there are the purely recreational golfers who are either trying to learn the game, who are just trying to enjoy the game, uh, and maybe even do something in addition to play golf, meaning they're probably out there for a social aspect, maybe, you know, a business thing, whatever. They're just out there to have a good time. You've got all these different, and there's probably other categories too, you've got all these people going to the same place to enjoy a game, and then we try to pack them in, in eight-minute tee times, nine-minute tee times. Some instances, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's seven-minute or six, especially when the first tee doesn't have a starter on it. That is not a good golf experience. It just isn't. The average golf hole takes about 15 minutes to complete. Par threes certainly take less. There's a lot of variables that go into that. But on average, 15 minutes to complete a golf hole. If you start packing people in at eight-minute intervals, you're already backing up the course right away. Because, again, that's an average time. There are times when your, your group or the group in front of you, they're going to take longer. So the whole point being is if we treat golf like a process, which in many ways it is, you can't start with a bottleneck. You just can't. You're already looking at a five-hour round right off the bat, which I'll get to in a second regarding the the myth of the four-hour round. But you're also dealing with compounding uh, factors here. I mean, you're going to have the beverage cart, which we all know it's a sight for sore eyes when you're thirsty or you want a beverage. But it's also an immediate slowdown. That's just the way it is because there's no standard operating procedure of when to engage with the beverage cart, right? Think about it. When you see a beverage cart on the course, you're probably going to go up to it. They're going to come to you. You could be in the middle of the fairway. You could be getting off the putting green. You could be on the tee, all these things. And at any point, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to stop. Everyone's going to get out of their cart. They're going to start paying. Maybe they're going to start flirting with whoever the, uh, the cart employee is. And everything slows down. Now, this is not to raz on beverage carts. I love them just as much as anyone else. Food and beverage is a very important part of golf operations, I've been told, and I've seen. All I'm saying is, why don't we give time, enough time, maybe even more than enough time, for these things that we all know are going to happen, to happen? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I don't run a golf course. Obviously, I don't. You, I don't have to tell you that. There are plenty of you who are listening to this who probably do. But I talked to a good friend of mine, a friend who actually does run a golf course. And while he definitely explained to me how 15-minute tee times are probably unsustainable for 98% of courses out there, I totally get that. Totally get it. Admittedly, it was an extreme take. My point being, though, is that if you are operating on the opposite end of that spectrum, which is something that I also talked to my friend about, the acknowledgement is there. We are just trying to get as many golfers through the door as possible, hoping that everyone keeps pace, and then ultimately allowing it to hit our bottom line in a positive way. It just... It feels like we could do better. It just, it feels like the customer experience 
is perhaps even more important than the number of players that get through the course. And the reason being, and the reason why I, I stand by that, is because word of mouth is the most powerful marketing tool that anyone can have, that any business can have. I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree with that. No matter how much you have in your marketing budget, no matter who you pay, no matter how many ads you take out, if you've got a customer experience that was poor and they start telling their friends and family, that's going to really impact you. That's why everyone pays so close attention to reviews on sites. Yelp, Yahoo, Google, five stars, four stars, two stars. People want to know what their experience is going to be like when they go to a restaurant, to a store, to a golf course. So I mentioned this, and I mentioned Jay Revel's book earlier, because he thinks a lot about this type of thing, too. And, you know, gauging by our interactions as well as what he had written in his book, he's a member of a club, grows up on a golf course, lives on a golf course. And he even mentions that the pace of play is an effort that everyone has to get involved in in order to improve. And I believe that that includes the spacing of tee times. Now, is there a perfect formula? I don't know. But perhaps there's a process that you can follow to find what works best for your golf course. A Twitter user, a Twitter follower rather, um, sent me a manual. It's Bill Yates' Pace of Play Manual. If you go on Google, just Google Bill Yates' Pace of Play Manual. And it's a really great resource that I had not been aware of before. But, uh, you know, it's about 60 pages long. It's a very in-depth study as well as recommendations and opinions on pace of play. And in it, the topic of tee time intervals as well as what the ideal spacing is comes up. And I'm going to quote directly from the manual here. It's on page 47 of the manual. So if you go out and and you find it, you'll know what I'm referring to. What owners and managers mistakenly fear is that by changing the starting interval to load the golf course properly the course will lose players and revenue. What actually happens is quite the opposite. So you may hear that and you might think, okay, well, if you're starting people 10 or more minutes apart, you're you're starting them at a set time. And so that just means there's going to be fewer groups throughout the day. What's interesting is in this manual, it actually breaks down how that might not be entirely accurate. Because if you think about it, if you've got more time between time uh, between tee times, you actually have more time to play the game quicker. You've got a bigger bubble kind of around you, you know, a little bit of cushion, so to speak. And then ultimately, if you get done with your round quicker because you didn't have to wait for shots or whatever else, it takes nothing into account your actual ability. Maybe you spend a little bit more time in the pro shop. Maybe you spend a little bit more time at the restaurant or the bar or the 19th hole you are spending more money or at least you have the opportunity to spend more money because you're not stuck on the golf course. And think about the last long round that you were on. I'm not talking about a scramble or, or anything like that because those things are they're, they're made to be death marches. The course already made their money on those. But think about the, lo- the, the longest round you've been on. You just wanted to get off that golf course. You aren't going to spend more time at the range or in the, in the pro shop or anything like that. 
So while you may be getting fewer golfers through the door or on the first tee as a golf course operator, it's a managed cost because you're making up that cost potentially somewhere else. Now, you may disagree with that. You, somebody listening to this may say, you know what, the math just doesn't check out. You can't expect golfers to do those things I just mentioned. But I would really implore you to read this manual. It's really well done. I'm sure that there's probably some holes that any of us could poke in. But I think the overarching message that this conveys, and something that I'm a supporter of, is you don't have to jam-pack your golf course with players just because you're worried about covering costs. I've never run a golf course, but I have worked with businesses and throughout my day job looking at things like waste, overspenditures, and other areas of improvement that, you know what, might be helpful in the golf space if you just take a look at how things are done. Let me know what you think about that topic. Follow me on social media at Golf Unfiltered. You can send me an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com. I may revisit this topic a few times here because I think it's one that we can all relate to, and certainly it sparks a lot of good debate and discussion. Hope you guys are staying safe out there. That's all for this week. I know it's a crazy world. I know it's hard to get away from certain things. I know not everyone loves the fact that I talk about certain real-world things on this podcast, but ultimately, I hope for those of you who don't mind it or at least want to hear another point of view that you continue to keep your eyes and ears open. There's a lot that's going on, and we're all living it. We're all trying to get through it, and myself included, and perhaps this is the way that I try to do that. So uh, I appreciate all the back and forth. I appreciate keeping it civil because, frankly... There's just so much incivility right now that I don't really have much time for it. So, And I know you guys don't either. We we just want to try to get life figured out right now. And we will. It'll, it'll get there. It'll get there. We just have to be kind to one another, have uh, civil discourse, and understand that, you know what? Sometimes change is okay. It really is. Even in golf. Thanks for listening. <laughs>